I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So what's with Jeremiah? My people are foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid children. Recently, I've noticed in our Old Testament passages, we get a picture of a divine God being judgmental and angry when we, God's chosen people, wander and get lost. And the emphasis seems to be on this continual repentance, on pleasing or appeasing, yet not quite succeeding, of living up to a determined standard as a prerequisite for God's blessing. I suspect that often in these passages, the very overt connection between religion and politics played a part. And sometimes the overt political and religious agendas overpower the divine intent. And we clergy can be guilty of wanting to whip everyone into shape. Our gospel text today, I might suggest, is incomplete. It should include the next story, the story of the prodigal son. Because in Luke's telling, all three stories were included by Jesus in making his point about what God is really like. And often commentators suggest that Luke 15 is the whole gospel in a nutshell, sort of a Coles Notes, or maybe God for Dummies. This chapter presents the gospel as a grace-filled, lost and found, almost adventure. Playing at getting lost and getting found is an absolute delight when we're children. Who hasn't delighted in playing peekaboo or hide-and-seek or pretending they couldn't see their child and then saying, oh, there you are, and having the child run into your arms? Such an abundant experience of delight for both the adult and the child. Even our goodbyes and our hellos can have that feeling. Spend time in any train or bus or airport terminal and you see the adult version of this game. Saying goodbye is a loss, even though eventually a hello is predictable. And seeing adult children leave, as some of you have, to university or to work is a loss, even though they are expected to return. And so these three stories of something being lost and then found, they tingle inside of our anxieties about being lost and our absolute feelings of relief, significance, connectedness, and love when we feel found. They also shimmer way down beneath the currents with the anxiety that someday we will lose it all. Henri Nouwen suggests that all of life could be seen as a series of losses. When you're born, you lose the comfort of mother's womb. When you go to school, you lose the comfort and understanding of home. When you choose a vocation, you lose the choice of other vocations. And more often than not, when you choose a spouse, you lose the capacity to choose someone else. And all the way through, all of life could be seen as a series of losses. And then when you die, you lose it all. About three weeks ago, all of us heard a news story about a four-year-old boy named George Benoit, who was lost 
for 32 hours in the northern woods near Mackenzie, BC. My mind and emotions took me to some pretty dark places. Oh no, did someone take him? What kind of mother would allow that to happen? This is not going to end well. Where's the father? How could you leave a four-year-old sleeping in a car and wander off to pick berries? Is this another parent with poor parenting skills? Stories of lostness capture us at a level of our own primal fears. But then the empathy began to return as I heard the details. An outing in nature to pick berries. A journey to a spot where the drive made the little boy sleepy. A mother who tucks her son into the car and says, Honey, we'll stay close by, and when you wake up, we'll be right here. Just come find us. A little boy who gets excited about picking berries and forgets his tiredness and disoriented opens the car door on the side away from his mother. He obeys her and he begins looking for her and eventually even calling out. And the mother who thinks she hears him and wanders back to the car to check on him and he's gone, lost for 32 hours and then found. The time between being lost and being found is pure health, pure suffering. So I want to invite you to put yourself into these biblical stories today of being lost and found. Where are you in these stories? In the first story, I want to be the sheep who is found, lifted and slung over the shoulders of the divine shepherd, exhausted with fear and tiredness, carried home, safe in the arms of Jesus, just letting myself be loved. In the second story, I want to be the searched for and found coin, likely one of ten coins that made up a headdress in the East as a symbol of a woman's marriage vows, like a wedding ring that was lost and is found. In the third story, the one we didn't read but I think we all know, it's harder to know who I want to identify with, and perhaps that's exactly the point. Part of me wants to be the prodigal to have taken the risk of living not just a bohemian life, but an immoral one, to have great stories to tell. And yet I've seen enough of that life to notice that it doesn't usually end well. Part of me wants to be the older brother. Part of me is the older brother, who filled with duty and responsibility has done it right, and yet at times feels boring, repetitive, and joyless, and it tends to make me judgmental of anyone who tries to do it differently. But it does look good on me. And in this place, I live for the line spoken to my siblings. Why can't you be more like your brother? Part of me wants to be like the servants in the story. Detached, indifferent. I don't really care. It's not my problem. To each his own. I have enough problems of my own. And I think all of these possibilities, and perhaps more, hold some truth or significance for us. But that is not Jesus' meaning in these parables, as easy as it is to go to those places. Remember, who is he talking to? He's talking to the scribes and to the Pharisees. 
He's talking to the religious and political leaders. And I think he's being very creative, not like other times where he calls them snakes and vipers. He's telling them these little stories. And when they hear them, it makes them pause. Is he saying what I think he's saying? I'm not exactly sure, but did he just ditz us? Who are the lost here? Who are the found? Is he including us in the lost? This Jesus guy always messes around with the system, treating these sinners like special people and making them think they're just as important as anyone else. He doesn't just say that. He hangs out with them. He eats with them, which frankly is as good as condoning their behavior. Real righteousness, which has cost us Pharisees a lot, is being offered them for free. Why would they come to us? And we must remember that Jesus was attracting huge crowds of ordinary people. They've been following him, and instead of admonishing them and judging them, he's been partying with them, talking with them, laughing with them, making them feel special, found, understood, telling them that to feel lost doesn't mean that you are no longer precious in God's eyes. This is real sinners and scribes and Pharisees brought face to face with one another and face to face with Jesus, the incarnate reflection of who God is and what God is like. The Pharisees and the scribes probably feel like the good guys here. They've not chosen the easy way. They are the God-fearing disciples who follow God's law scrupulously seeking to set the example as a healthy alternative to the failing standards of society. And they're not disinterested in sinners. They have all the requirements for being saved memorized. They know exactly who the righteous are and who the sinners are. And us righteous need to avoid those sinners at all cost, lest we be tainted or tempted by their sin. Did you know that the biblical word in the New Testament for those who aren't following God is not the unsaved? The word that's used is the lost. When you lose a child, the child doesn't cease being a child. They become separated from you. You lose their presence, they lose your presence. And so you abandon everything and look for them. So perhaps to the Pharisees and the scribes, and sometimes to us, these stories feel a little outrageous. I don't think Jesus just made them as he went along. I also don't think he told them to us and said, figure it out. These are stories about sweepers and shepherds. This is what it looks like when you become a sweeper and a shepherd. Repentance, any repentance, as groveling misses the point. Following the law as a prerequisite misses the point. The real issue in these three stories is rejoicing. Rejoicing. Listen to what Barbara Brown Taylor says about these stories. The plot is not about amending our evil ways, but about seeking, sweeping, finding, and rejoicing. 
The invitation is not about being rescued by Jesus over and over again, but about joining him in rounding up God's herd and recovering God's treasure. It's about questioning the idea that there are certain conditions the lost must meet before they are eligible to be found, or that there are certain qualities they must exhibit before we will seek them out. It's about trading in our high standards for a strong flashlight and swapping our, swapping our good example for a good broom. It's about discovering the joy of finding. Maybe, she says, some of us are destined to be shepherds and others of us to be lost sheep. But when I am working so hard to find and stay found, it is difficult not to judge those who seem to capitalize on staying lost. I want to believe that they are not merely lost people, but that they are bad people, because then I could write them off and save myself some trouble. I want to concentrate on the good people, the ones who want to be found, or who are busy finding others. And I think about heaven ignoring those good folks in favor of one sinner who finally says, I'm sorry, and I feel like suing God for mercy. Perhaps the real message in all of these stories is that we are all lost and found simultaneously and continuously. I know I am. At least I know that sometimes. Sometimes I feel like the Pharisees and the scribes or the older brother who have been faithful and the good son and yet can't celebrate this found brother because my lifeless sense of duty and righteousness has rubbled over the love of God whose presence has been with me all along. And so I resist letting myself be found, even though I never appear lost. At other times, I am the disinterested servants, doing what we do to earn a living and survive, and yet keeping myself at a distance, telling myself it's someone else's problem. I have my own. Or maybe at other times, we're the prodigal, so ashamed of what we've done or thought or are doing, and yet so starved for acceptance and support that we finally swallow our pride and we move towards home just to survive. However, we're filled with avoidant shame, judging ourselves unworthy of the unconditional love that has always been there. And so we end up looking more like employees than the boss's child. Whatever our experience of feeling, Taylor leaves us with a lovely being found image. But then once in a while, she says, I hear someone come up behind me, call out my name, and large, warm, tan, gentle hands grab me by the scruff of the neck and lay me across a pair of shoulders that smell of sweet grass and sunshine and home. And I'm so surprised and so relieved to be found and my heart feels like it is being broken into, broken open, while way off somewhere as I hear the voice, the riotous sound of angels rejoicing. As we celebrate the Eucharist today, may we open our hearts to this riotous rejoicing. For once we were lost, but now we are found. Amen.